0: This episode is brought to you by the Grace Enough podcast, where host Amber Cullum and her guests delve into hard truths and the unwavering grace of God while journeying in the kingdom of God here on earth. Listen every week at graceenoughpodcast.com or on your favorite listening app.
1: This episode is the second part in a series on MLMs or multi-level marketing. You may want to go back and listen to the first part, or some of this may not make sense. This is also the sixth episode in a series about how people of influence impact modern Christianity. The first episode is called The Influencer Economy.
2: I initially got involved with MLM through family members selling ACN, which was utilities. I don't even know what ACN stands Utility, for.
1: like oil, like, like gas and electric. Yeah, like
2: legitimate, the electricity that powered your home, their spiel was we contract through the companies and just provide it for you cheaper.
1: This is one of my good friends. He's a smart guy. He's got a good job working in technology. In this particular MLM or multi-level marketing company, he was basically a middleman for energy. He got into it as a
2: teenager. As I understood it as a naive teenager, was the reason it was cheaper is because they didn't spend money on advertising. And as a kid, you're like, oh, that makes so much sense. They just don't spend money on advertising. That clearly is the reason my bill is half what it should be. He
1: became the
2: advertising,
1: knocking on doors, talking to parents of friends. At their meetings, he saw people with fancy cars, nice clothes, people at the top of this thing who looked pretty successful.
2: The pitch is, hey, you're going to have this for life. This is, a, this is a company, a business, a whatever that you're building for your family, blah, blah, blah.
1: They made it sound so easy. Just go sell the product. Anyone with good sense is going to want this thing.
2: The first time I called someone to ask, hey, can you switch your power over to ACN and let me sign you up as a customer of mine? And they're like, I'm not going to talk to a teenager about utilities because I'm an adult and I pay bills and you're in high school. Go away. And it was like, wow, that you know, when you're in a meeting and people are in a way indoctrinating you, of, here's an easy way to make money. People are waiting for you to call them and save them money, and then someone's like, not interested. It shatters that veil of easy money, as it were. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's how it's pitched. They might say, no, you, you know, you get out what you put in. That's the common mantra, I would say, but it's all a bunch of hogwash, unfortunately. And I, th- I think it's similar to. I don't wanna go on any tangent or down some rabbit hole, but it's similar to the evangelicals that you see on late night TV. It's similar to the the psychics that you would see that, you know, like Miss Cleo, it's preying on the emotionally vulnerable, the financially destitute folks that are just looking for that, help me get out of my situation quick answer. If you're poor, you're in a tight spot and need some money fast,
1: these companies appear to be too good to be true. You can have your own business, make money on your own schedule when you have free time. But MLMs, as we talked about in the last episode, probably won't help. They work like a Venus flytrap. They lure prey in with a sweet smell, a chance at an easy break, and before you know it, you're in pretty deep. And strangely, even though you've been bitten once, it's fairly common to do it again. My friend did this in college, jumping into an herbal supplement he could market to his fellow athletes. The product seemed to help
2: his tendonitis, or maybe it was just that he was eating better and icing his sore knees. But you also want it to be real, and in my mind, I was like, oh, I'm this ambitious young kid, easy money, I'll get all my friends on it, they're all athletes, they got pains, whatever, they got family members, and the the mentors that I had were so, oh my goodness. Because I really got into it for a summer. That was really my investment into this company. And I went on road trips with this one guy, and he was great. Like, he was genuinely a nice guy. But whenever it came to the business side of it, it just felt like he used the religious part a lot. He used the, I'm a salesman, and this is kind of my my goal in life is to never collect a paycheck, but just earn every dollar I make. But it didn't feel like earning. It just felt like pitching to people, hoping they bought in, and then moving on.
1: What do you mean by the religious part of it, what did that look like in person? Mm.
2: A lot of the conferences, I never went to a conference. I never went to the retreats that they go on, but everyone that I talked to that did would always talk about how they would open them up with either praying or some type of religious-esque piece that made people feel like, yeah, we're here for a greater purpose. Oh, back to the company, back to the product, back to whatever. And to me, anytime God is used as a marketing tool, just It hits something deep in me. It makes me infuriated to think that in any way, shape, or form, God could be reduced to this thing that just helps someone make money. And that's painful. That's, and it. But it's sad because when people hear that, I think people, generally speaking, want to believe that that's a good person saying that. They want to believe they're religious and that they believe in God and that they're doing this because they have been commanded by the Holy Spirit or whatever motivation they have. But I would probably err on the side of cynicism and say that they're just taking advantage of someone who's more likely to just blindly follow that advice or whatever spiel they're giving instead of thinking critically about it and thinking, wait, the almighty is more concerned about selling this product than whatever else is going on in the world or in my life or, you know, around this place. No, the focus right now is us making sure that we can sell vitamins or that we can sell water purifiers or, you know, it it boggles the mind. But I guess when you're in it, like I was in it for a summer, I I can start to relate to that mindset where you just want to find any reason it will work and not worry about all the obvious signs of why it wouldn't work.
1: What happens when we tie business to religion? It happens sometimes on a national scale. We've seen this with companies like Hobby Lobby, In-N-Out Burger, and Chick-fil-A. Legitimate businesses where you go and buy a physical product at a store. These stores have employees, maybe stockholders, paychecks, all the normal stuff. Whatever you think about their stances, they are operating like most businesses, then tying their religious ideas into their company policies. But what about companies where more than 99% of people involved lose money, all the while being told that this is a Christian company, that the Holy Spirit wants to make you rich, that if you fail, it's not because God didn't want you to be successful, it's because you couldn't hack it. What happens to your faith then? You're listening to the show that uses journalistic tools to look inside the Christian church. We press pause on the culture wars to explore how we got here and how we can do better. I'm Chris Sterren and this is Truce.
0: This episode is brought to you by the Grace Enough podcast. I am its host, Amber Cullum. Each week, I sit down with a guest to discuss hard truths and the unwavering grace of God they've experienced while journeying in God's kingdom here on earth. You'll hear from guests like Jen Wilkin, Jamie Ivey, Andy Crouch, and Scott McKnight. Listen to these conversations and more by searching Grace Enough Podcast on your favorite listening app or by visiting graceenoughpodcast.com. Even
1: after my friend couldn't make it work with the utility company, he still thought that vitamins could be the thing.
2: I wanted, because I grew up so poor, I wanted to believe that there was this opportunity that I could actually make something still. Because at the end of the day, there were people making money, and I'm going to consider myself special and be in that 1% and whatever.
1: It sounds like winning the lottery, doesn't it? Even though the odds are against me... I'm going to be the person who breaks through. I'm going to be the 1%. Of course, some people do make money on MLMs. The Federal Trade Commission, or FTC, stated in a study under one popular MLM company, one out of every 500 people could make $47,000 a year. Again, 99% of people lose money. 0.2% could make $47,000 a year. 0. And to some of us, $47,000 sounds like a lot of money. Let's do some comparison. In 2018, the median U.S. income was just over $61,000 per year. If you worked hard, hustled, really went for it, rose to the 0.2% of all people selling for your MLM, you could still be $14,000 below the median household income. It makes much more sense to just go get a normal job. The odds are stacked against you. And if by some miracle you win, you're still well below your friends and neighbors with work-a-day jobs.
3: Yeah, we're speaking about it in a kind of theoretical manner. This
1: is Robert Fitzpatrick, author of ponzi the untold history of multi-level marketing and how direct sales became an American school. His website, pyramidschemealert.org, is also full of good information. He says that this stuff is not really hidden that far under the surface.
3: If we were to, you know, get off the phone and just go out and circulate, go to a store, go to your church, go to work, wherever you go, you will meet up with multi-level marketing. It is literally everywhere. Uh, 18 million. Households are involved at any given time each year in the United States. It's all over social media, like all over it. Since Christianity is often
1: tied into leadership seminars and discussions, start looking there. Just yesterday, I was liked on Instagram by a woman who encourages other women to lead and be leaders. She said they could do so on their own time with a business working from home. In other words, an MLM in an Instagram post. Maybe you're not quite convinced. So let me introduce you to a guy who has since passed. His name was John M. Taylor. He was a PhD and an MBA, a smart guy. His publication, The Case For and Against Multi-Level Marketing, is available on the Federal Trade Commission website. It's a pretty good read. Anyway, in 1994, according to his report, John Taylor gets recruited by an MLM. The company is still around, and I don't want to say their name in case they want to sue me. Let's just say that they sell home spa supplies. Creams, massage machines, that kind of stuff. It's 1994. John tells himself, I'm doing research. I'm a smart guy. He commits to the MLM for one year. But here's the thing. It's not enough to just start out on the ground floor. You can be there like a chump selling products at wholesale or... If you work harder, get your sales up, you can be a part of the elite Blue Diamond level. That means you get discounts and better tools. But how do you sell more products in a short amount of time? John gets promised that if he makes it to the Blue Diamond level, he could be earning as much as $750,000 a year. John eventually landed at the top 1% of distributors in his company. Yet, he lost 1000 every month on a business that was supposed to make him rich. He was in the top 1% in his company, and he was still in the red. It only ended when his wife gave him an ultimatum. It's either the MLM or me. It can't be both. He was constantly recruiting his friends and family, talking about this great business opportunity everywhere he went, and losing $1,200 of their money every month. Remember, John was not a stupid guy. He went into this thing to study the business model and he got swept up in it. It took the near collapse of his marriage to convince him to turn from distributor to consumer advocate. Think about that blue diamond level thing. In many MLMs, if you meet sales goals, you get bumped up to these different levels, which often means discounts for you as a distributor. You get recognition, you get praise and maybe some little prizes. Either way, if you can make it to the next level, you're on the right track. Let's say you have to get $1,000 of sales each month to get to the next level. If you do that, you get bumped up. The praise, the benefits, the discounts. Remember Earl from the last episode? Are you ready to make the best decision of your life? Let's say Earl wants to make it to the next level. He's selling soap, remember? Why
3: would you want to buy soap at a store where you'll already be when you can make a special appointment to buy it at my party?
1: In order to make that sales goal, he'll have to sell a lot of soap. A lot of it. Let's say he's got a box of laundry soap for $20. At that rate, he's got to sell 50 boxes of soap just to make it to the next level. 50 boxes of soap. I'm not even sure I know 50 families. Who does? But he's got to do it if he wants to get to the next level. So he starts hustling boxes of soap, which means wear and tear on his car, business cards, time away from his family, money spent on parties, free samples to give to people to try, minutes on his cell phone. All of that adds up. Maybe Earl gets to the end of the month and he still hasn't sold everything he needs to sell.
2: I
3: sold 20 boxes of soap. I have to sell 30 more. Or I can't make Blue Diamond.
1: Earl has a choice to make. The guy in his upline told him he could do this. Other people make their sales every month. Why can't he? He just has to work harder. Maybe he's not doing enough. Either he loses out on the discounts, the rewards, and the praise, and feels like a total failure to his upline, or... Or I could buy 30 boxes of laundry soap myself. Then I could get credit as a sale and get my blue diamond status. Now Earl is the owner of 30 boxes of soap, which he has to store. At the end of the month, he becomes a blue diamond seller. His upline is happy. Good work, Earl. Way to pursue your dreams. He is now the proud recipient of discounts. But he is sitting on 30 boxes of soap at $20 each. He paid $600 of his own money for a bunch of detergent. Sure, he could sell it next month, but he's got a few problems. Because of all of his hustling last month, everyone he knows who could possibly want a box of laundry soap has all the soap they need. And if he did happen to offload some of the boxes he stored in his garage, those sales don't count towards next month's sales. While he's offloading last month's soap, he's losing ground on next month's sales projections. If he wants to keep his blue diamond status, which is very precious to him, it's not enough for him to do well for one month. He has to keep doing well every month. And that's how you end up with a garage full of soap. Perhaps you see why it makes more sense to get people in your downline, people you recruit, rather than selling the actual product yourself. Because if you're selling products, you're likely to end up with a lot of it in your basement or garage. When you could just skip the product altogether and get other people to sell it so you can collect a little bit from their sales. Otherwise, Earl has to continuously make sales. If he doesn't keep it up, if he doesn't do it right, he's a failure. Everyone else claims they can move that much product. Why can't he? Why can't you? This is how failure is used as a weapon against distributors, through peer pressure, the comparison to other people. You started this business to make a little extra money for your family, and you want to provide for your family, right? You want to be a success, right? You want God to bless you, right? Well, if you're failing at this foolproof model, the logic goes, it's because you're not working hard enough. The internet is full of this kind of shaming. Here is a YouTube video by an MLM distributor named Aaron Goldstein.
2: I'm going to show you a guaranteed way to get one to two downlines a day into your business, and I'm going to show you that for free at the end of this video.
1: He buys a lot of time in this video, so let's cut to the chase.
2: Number one reason why people struggle is, and here's the key,
1: they don't treat their business like a legit business. Did you hear it? The problem isn't the business model or the product, it's you. And if you'll just go to his website and watch yet another video, he'll tell you how to fix it. Back to what we talked about in our episode about failure as a weapon and our prosperity gospel episode. If we have in our minds, as a lot of Christians do, that if God loves me as a person, then he's going to bless me with money and success, a career I like, a wonderful marriage, kids who love me, coworkers who respect me, then what do I do if I'm a failure? If God blesses those he loves, which is a very incomplete theological statement, then what is the obvious message if my business is failing? And of course, it is my own business. I am an independent contractor with no insurance or paycheck or benefits from the greater company no safety net no assurance even after i realize that there was no way i could make money in this business model i'll feel like a fool for having tried then there is the human cost of everyone in the circle of influence for the distributor the spouse the best friend the parents who are all expected to endure endless sales pitches loved ones who buy a little to help out and then watch your apartment or garage or car fill up with products. Millions of households out there are involved in this. It's easy to judge people who are out there, but these are our friends
3: and our neighbors. Here's Robert Fitzpatrick again. It's another thing when somebody you know and trust or a family member, which is someone you may love, gets enrolled and becomes an enthusiastic promoter and pressures you to join up or to give them support, to believe as they believe. it, it becomes very uncomfortable to turn that down, and the promises can be extremely alluring and seductive. So, in my writing, I've tried, I, I've sort of conclude concluded that uh, really the only true defense against a scheme with this kind of power, it is more or less state sponsored, state protected, even though it really is a fraud.
1: We'll cover a little bit of history and the government's involvement in a future episode this stuff really does go all the way to the top.
3: You really have to arm yourself and in, in look within yourself as to what actually is important. Do you really believe that you have to get rich in order to be a valid human being? You might. It's in the air, you know? It's a message called prosperity theology. It's also kind of embedded in, in, in a distortion, distorted version of the American dream. And that you're either a success or a loser in life, measured money. You have to look at yourself. Is that really the way you believe? Um, and and then the question of relationships. Uh, you, you have to make sure that you're not poisoning your relationships with that kind of a commercial proposition. If if you can keep those deeper values in mind of what is your life really about. What are, what what is your dream? Your personal dream, how do you want to express yourself in the world, not just how somebody measures you or tries to measure you?
1: We're told in this world there were only a value if we're making money, if we're leaders, if we have our own business. You need to have a one-income household, or at least the appearance of a one-income household because your church frowns upon women working outside the house. These schemes prey on people in tight places. But you've got to decide, is it worth it to try to be the 0.2% of all people who make a modest wage? And if you do, can you accept that you just tied the hands of everyone you recruited
3: into your downline? I can tell you, once someone has fallen under that spell and they have bitten that apple uh, and taken the bait, um, it's it's not easy at that point to disabuse them of the, of the folly of the thing they're into Time is on your side. Most people quit within a year. Not many people really understand what happened, why they lost their money, why they, quote, failed. Um, but so patience uh, is an important thing when somebody involved close to you gets, gets you know, into it. And, um, and the other thing, I guess, is, is, is uh, once you recognize it as a scam, Uh, it does not help to support somebody who's in it. They may tell you, uh, even if you're not in it, at least buy into it to support me. Or if you're in a family, somebody may want to even mortgage the house or use the credit card or, you know, to, to, uh, to get involved if you understand it as a fraud, that's a good place to take a stand and say, no, unless you can do due diligence, show me the, the percentage, the odds, um, you know, I'm not gonna go along with that.
1: This is more than a business opportunity. When we're selling stuff to others, we're building relationships for the wrong reasons. Let's wrap this up with my friend from the beginning who was involved in the supplement scheme.
2: At the end of the day, I just found myself waking up in the morning and wanting to get online and go on these message boards and find people that were interested or needed some type of help and see if, hey, does this interest you? And the fact that I kept wanting to be a salesman instead of someone actually trying to help people was also the really frustrating part. And then kind of back to the Christianity part when when I think of myself as a Christian and someone who's trying to help people there shouldn't be any financial benefit to it. And the fact that MLMs really only incentivize you to carry relationships that provide you financial benefit is I don't want to say disgusting, but it feels disgusting when you're because they have to know, there's no way they don't know, that a majority of people that come to those meetings and spend that money are spending money they don't have and losing money they can't afford to lose.
1: Special thanks to my friends who lent their voices to this episode. I'm so grateful to Robert Fitzpatrick of Pyramid Scheme Alert for giving me the interview. His book is Ponzinomics, the untold history of multi-level marketing and how direct sales became an American swindle. We'll have links to him and his book at trucepodcast.com, where you can find links to our social media, donate to help cover my production costs, and learn about my other projects. Those projects include my films, Bringing Up Bobby and Between the Walls, and my Christian time travel novel, Cradle Robber. If you'd like to learn more about MLMs, I strongly recommend the first season of the podcast, The Dream. It has some strong language, but it's well worth the listen. We've got a few more episodes about this topic in coming weeks. I hope you'll join us and leave a comment about the show on iTunes. It would really help. I'm Chris Darren and this
3: is Truce.